You know, I wish at your age I could have gotten up and done that and done it that well, to stand in front of a group of people and to put your heart out there and to welcome them. Do you guys feel welcome this morning? Hey, we are, we are glad that you're here today. And, and as, as we said, if you head out on the right-hand side, uh, you can uh, go to the Connect Center if you're new. We'd love to gather some information from you, maybe connect to you, share a little bit about what's going on at Bergen Park Church. Hey, a couple of things uh, taking place. This is the last Sunday that we're all going to be in this room at 9.30 together. Now, what does that mean? It means next Sunday, we're going to be in this room either from 9 to 10 or from 11 to 12. So do you know when you're coming? You got two options. Let me go over them again in case you missed them. It's... It's either from 9 to 10 or from 11 to 12. The reason that we're doing that is we need to make space. You know, as, as God has come to us and demonstrated his love, he's called us family. And really what God's done for us is he treats us like family way before we are ever family. You know, before we really understood what it means to love and to sacrifice, to care for others, God demonstrated his love for us And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which means, as the church, we are to go out and treat others as family before they are family. You with me? That's the radical grace of God that changes the heart. And so as we continue to reach out to this community, we want to be that center of grace and truth so that others might say, you know, I never thought that God was quite like that. But the God that you reflect in the God of Scripture is the God I'd long to know. And so through through us, we have the opportunity to demonstrate his love to others. And that's that's a tremendous gift. Hey, let me introduce a gentleman today who is with us. He's been with us for a while. His name is Dr. Walt Hastings. Dr. Walt Hastings, will you stand up? Now, you don't know why Walt's standing, and so Walt, you you don't have to stand the whole time if you don't want to, but I appreciate this man so much. Walt has just recently, the elders have asked him to join our staff, and he has agreed. Walt has a tremendous amount of experience. I think he has not only mastered divinity, he's also doctored divinity, and so I I need to learn from that. That's that's a whole other step. Walt's coming on board. He's going to be working with our small groups. He's going to be doing some administrative tasks. His experience goes back quite a while. Uh, He has the wisdom to show it. Uh, He has served as a pastor. He has served as an associate pastor, executive in numerous roles. For the last 18 years, he's also served as a professional coach to pastors. So, Walt, uh, thank you for responding to the call. I'm looking forward to learning from you, walking alongside you, and seeing how God guides us together. So, thank you. Amen. And then with that as well, we had this last month and and coming up, we have two staff members that have stepped off or are stepping off. Now, some of you may know that Terry Tucker, Terry, just wave. There's Terry. You may not realize she has faithfully served at this church for 14 years as a volunteer and staff. Would we call that? How would we call that? adjunct staff. That's the appropriate term. 
And Terry has served for 14 years, just in the beginning of September. Uh, she stepped down formally as a staff member, yet continues to serve us. And I know she doesn't want us to honor her on a Sunday, but we're going to, and it's coming up. And so just, just get ready for that. And you may also know David Hansen, our children's director. He just received a new job at, at CCU down the hill as the men's ministry pastor over that campus, which is pretty, pretty big. And so he's going to be stepping off next Sunday. We're going to have a celebration for him. So there's a lot of movement, a lot of things happening. And so, guys, it's good to see you here. And let me just pray for us as we um, just allow God to minister to us in this time. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you call us out of darkness into light, which means we don't know what we don't know until we know you. That we can't change our life, Father, until we've come to experience your life in us. And it's the life of Christ through the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that awakens us from the dead and breathes into us our dry bones, the breath of life. So, Father, this morning, would you demonstrate your power and presence as we use your gifts in a way that glorifies you. We love you. In Jesus' name. I just wanted to share a song. This is a new Lauren Diego song. It's called You Say. It's just been so powerful in my life. And my friend Nina is in town from California, so I asked her to share it with us so if we could just receive it. And I was going to put it up on the slides, but I don't even think it's available yet. So it's, it's a pretty new song, but I hope you guys are blessed by it. Voices in my mind say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the song? Every high and every low 
Hey, if you, uh, if you want to grab a Bible or, or turn on your phone, you can turn there. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 today. It is good to see you guys here. Romans chapter 1, you may find a Bible in front of you. You don't have a Bible, that one is yours. Uh, we'd love to give that to you, take it home as a gift from us to you. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We're looking in verses 16 to 23. Hey, and we're in this series that, that's entitled Everyday Mission. That mission is not a destination, it's not an event, it's not just going to another country. Rather, mission is what God has called us to live each day as Christians. That as Christians, we are those that worship a missionary God, which means ascending God. And if you think of God the Father, God the Father sends Jesus, the Son, he sends the Holy Spirit. And then through the Spirit, Jesus says to us, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, I'll tell you, when, when I first heard that, I thought, well, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I don't have what it takes. You don't know my problems. You don't know my insecurities. You don't know my brokenness. But we're talking about God. God knows my brokenness, and yet he sends me. He knows my weakness, and yet he sends me. And the reason he sends me is so that I might know his strength as I go out and serve him in ways that on my own I couldn't do. The Christian life is not about doing out of our strength what we can to show God's love. It's not about my abilities and pressing people to love God. It's about God in my weaknesses and brokenness, showing up in power and strength and demonstrating his love to others in a way that says, now that's divine. That's different. It's God working through us. And see, we have to, if we're going to reach this community, be a vessel in which God works through us, just as he has worked in us. And so in Romans chapter one, we discover the power for this everyday mission which is an everyday message. We get a lot of everydays, which today translates into an everyday power. So let me look at this in verse 16. 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, meaning in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and notice, from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous live by faith. So notice what he's saying. The gospel is the power of God. Now, nothing else in Scripture is called the power of God but the gospel. The way the gospel is received by faith, it's a righteousness. Now, righteousness means that we're covered in God's righteousness rather than in our righteousness. Righteousness is in some ways like a resume. It, what it feels like is when your wife or your husband said, yeah, I'll marry you. That moment is righteousness. You're covered. I'm okay. I'm accepted. The righteousness of God is the righteousness that comes when God accepts us through faith in Jesus. But see, no longer I'm trying to put my identity in what I do or what I look like or what I have. My identity is now in Christ and what he's done. And the Father accepts me because when he sees me, he sees Jesus. And now I can know and experience his love without fear because I'm his. And so he says it's from faith to faith, meaning we enter the relationship with God by faith, but we also grow in this relationship by, by faith. So look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Here's the bad news against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who notice who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, what's the truth that we suppress? Verse 19 is the truth about God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, the essence of sin is to suppress the truth about God which means what is your greatest need today? If the essence of sin is to suppress truth about God and in a sense to replace God, either with a false image of God that I can ignore or to replace God with a non-God, with the things that God has made, whether it's through success or material possessions, whether it's just through relationships, our hearts get captivated by something and whatever that something is becomes it becomes an identity. And when whatever becomes your identity and it's not God, the reality is you got to suppress God. You got to say, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. Or I'm going to make up a God in my mind that doesn't represent really who you are so that I can say no to you and I don't have to obey you. I don't have to listen to you. The challenge that we have is that we suppress the truth, not just as unbelievers, but as believers that I don't want to obey God. And when problems come into my life, I want to believe, this is my testimony, 
It's your problem. The reason I'm having problems is because of what you did. If she only, then my life would be. If they only, if those people only, these are the good people, those are the bad people. And yet God in his grace reminds me, you were while a sinner, I I died for you. I loved you while you were yet an enemy. See, even as believers, our challenges were constantly suppressing God. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, as a, a young believer, I think I understood that through faith in Jesus, God had forgiven me of my sin. That on the cross, Jesus died, which means the penalty for my sin was paid. I think I understood as a young believer the power of past grace, that my sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And I think also the church did a very good job of reminding me of the hope of heaven, that through faith in Jesus we have eternal life, which means life with God in eternity. And so I understood past grace on the cross, and see, I understood future grace In heaven, what I didn't understand was the present grace and power of God to change my life today. See, I thought changing life is up to me. And so if my life isn't changing, the problem is me. Can you relate to that level of discouragement? There's something you want to change, You know you're forgiven and adopted. You know you're secure in Christ, and yet your life isn't changing. And so maybe what you conclude is the Christian faith doesn't work. Maybe God's not real. Scripture isn't true. Or maybe it's just not true for me. Maybe God doesn't love me. See, I understood I was forgiven. I understood my future was secure. What I didn't understand was the power of faith in the gospel today. That my problem, and and this may be new to you, your problem is not disobedience. I know that's surprising. It's unbelief. We just heard the song, you don't believe what God says about you. You don't believe you're a child of God. You don't believe you're accepted. You don't believe that through the power of the Spirit, the Father says of you what he said to the Son. You're my child whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. You know, if I could just hear that from the Father's voice just once, I wouldn't have a problem. Standing up here would be no issue at all because I won't need anything from you. Rather, all I'd do is try to allow God's love that he's given to me to work to you. See, what we need to discover is the gospel message, which is our message that we bring to this community, has a power in that it's changing us today, not just that it changed us in the past or it's going to change us in the future. Rather, the message of the gospel is powerful because God's working in your life today to show you who he is, to show you who you are, and then to show you your need for a savior. Because that's how we came to faith. And so today I want to look at three things. One, we have a new motivation to change. Second, we have a new power to change. And then finally, there is a new process to change. That through faith in the gospel, we have a new motivation. And yet there's a new power that leads to a new process. Now, one of the passages for me that was incredibly helpful, 
and helping me to see that change isn't just what I do. Now, there's a lot that we need to do. Don't, don't hear me wrong. We've got to set good things before our eyes and our hearts and our minds. We've got to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's an energy that we do in putting God in front of us and setting our eyes on Jesus Christ and what he's done. And yet it is the spirit in us that begins to produce the fruit through us. And so if you look in 2 Peter, if you want to turn there, this is one of those key passages that have been instructive for me for years. In 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 8 and 9, Peter's talking to a very mature church. And he says to them that God has given you everything, everything for life and godliness. You have it all, that through faith in Jesus, we have everything we need. The verdict is in, you're accepted. And yet he says, if we're not growing in grace and truth and love and peace and joy, the reason is we've become ineffective and unproductive. We're not productive in the fruit of the Spirit if we're lacking self-control, if we're lacking kindness, the way we tend to think of how am I going to get self-control? Well, I need to work up some self-control in my life. You know, pick up some self-help books, a few techniques of calming my anger, of growing in patience. And there's a lot of books out there that'll do that. And yet all we're doing is we're reforming our mind, we're reforming our behavior. What's not changing is the heart. What God is after is not an obedient life, but a new motivation from the heart that leads to an obedient life. And so in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he says this. And he says, for these qualities, and he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit are yours and are increasing. They will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, why do we lack these things? Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. Why are we not growing in love, patience, self-control? Because we have forgotten who we are. I'm accepted. That often the reason we obey isn't out of gratitude for God for what he's done. Often we obey out of hope for what we might get out of selfishness. We obey God maybe out of pride. This is the kind of Christian I am. Or maybe we obey God out of fear. But see, in the gospel, we obey God out of gratitude and joy for what Christ has done. We love because he loves us. We forgive because he has forgiven us. We're patient because God is patient towards us. Everything that God has done to us, he wants to do through us, which means our struggle is a struggle of faith. We don't believe we are who God says we are. We need a new motivation. You know, years ago, I had a friend that sat me down and I was struggling. This wasn't struggling as a young Christian. This was struggling as a pastor. I had mastered divinity, according to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. And according to Winthrop Street Baptist Church, I was now a pastor. And yet I had a deep conflict inside of me. Because what I was trying to do at that time in my life, must be some deer outside. 
I was trying to be Jesus. I thought if I was good enough, then people would show up. And if I was smart enough, then I could lead a staff well. And, and, and if, I, if I just read enough or prayed enough or studied up enough, then, then I, I would do things right and then God would show up and things would go well. You see, I thought that it was, it was all about me. And then a friend showed me this. He draw, drew this uh, image on, if you want to show that, Brian, on a napkin. And he said, Jason, you know, what happened when you put your faith in Jesus Christ? He said, two things kind of came together. First of all, you saw who God was. You saw his holiness. And you'll see this throughout the Bible. When Moses sees God, what happens? Hey, he's afraid. Because in seeing God, he sees himself and he's like, hey, I don't belong here. When Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 sees God, he goes, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I live among a people of unclean lips, and I've now seen the Lord. Because in seeing God, what happens is you have to see yourself. And you say, hey, God and me, we're different. Which means I need a Savior. At the moment of conversion, three things come together. You see God, you see yourself, and you see Jesus. And you see what Jesus has done to die on the cross for you. Now, what does it mean to grow in the Christian faith? It means to see God, see your sin, and see Jesus. The way we enter the Christian faith is the way we grow in the Christian faith. Now, what does that look like? What it looks like is the love of God gets bigger over time. It doesn't get smaller. Your appreciation and gratitude for what God has done isn't something that's just about the past or the future. It's about a power in the present that enables you to love others the way that God loved you, not the way that you want to love others. Because God is showing you a bigger picture of who he is and therefore a greater revelation of your own brokenness and in that, a deeper appreciation for his love. You know, when you read the letters of Paul, what you'll find is he's praying for Christians. Now, it's surprising. What does he pray for Christians? Now, you would think for non-Christians, you'd pray things like, I pray you would know how deep and wide and long and high is the love of Christ. Because see, those non-Christians, they don't know that, right? And yet in Ephesians, he's praying for Christians to know God's love. Now, why would he pray for us to know the love of God? Don't we already know the love of God? Isn't that what you start with? Isn't that the ABCs of the Christian faith? God loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones, to him belong. That's where you start. Paul, I need to move on to something greater, some deeper doctrine. I need to get into revelation. I need to understand all the stuff that's coming ahead. That's what's gonna mature me in my life. And yet Paul's saying, no, as Christians, what we need to do is to understand the depths of his love, the, the width of his love, the height of his love. Meaning that over time, we see how big God is. We see how broken we are. And instead of blaming others that my life isn't the way it's supposed to be, I run to Jesus and the cross and say, Father, save me. I need you. Apart from you, I can't do this. I can't love my family the way you've called me to love my family with this chaos in my life. Because you know what happens in families? At least, I don't know, maybe it's not your family. We blame each other. We shame each other. We accuse each other. Now, I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven. My future is secure. What's happening? I'm taking the cross, and, and I'm diminishing the cross in my life. Because, see, the cross is for my salvation. It's not for my marriage. 
No, the cross is for our marriage. That before I address my wife, I got to take that plank out of my eye. I got to take the anger out, the frustration. I've got to take out what I want or the image of the marriage that I want as a husband that I think is mine because of what I'm doing and what I deserve. And I need to die to myself. And then Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, needs to raise me up to newness of life. I need faith in what God has done. Not just good information. See, what, what is the process of growth in the Christian life? It's growth in gratitude. It's growth in gratitude and faith as we see what God has done. And as we come to recognize his goodness towards us. Hey, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, again against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Now, Paul in Romans 1 is describing the Gentile world, those that do not know the gospel, don't have the scriptures. And he's saying the problem is in our sin, we suppress God. Well, see, what happens when we come to faith in God is our struggle is we continue to suppress God. And so, Brian, if you want to show that second image, my friend, after he showed me that first picture, he said the challenge in your life right now is two things. You're either performing or you're pretending. Are you with me on that? You're walking in and you're saying, hey, all things are good. I got Jesus. I got, I got, a, heaven in, I got a future in heaven that's secure. I, I don't have any problems or difficulties because, see, good Christians don't have those things, right? I'm a good Christian. Therefore, I want you to believe I'm a good Christian so I can't be honest about what's going on in my life. I can't be honest that when I'm angry, I'm angry because I'm not getting what I want. It's not just because you didn't give me what I want, but that my desires are wrong. My desire is to use you. My desire is to manipulate you. My desire is that you would revolve around me like the planets revolve around the sun. Hey, I'm after God's righteousness. I'm, this is righteous and good. No, it's not. It's selfishness. And what you're doing is instead of trusting Jesus, you're avoiding Jesus by pretending I'm okay or trying to do in your own strength what God alone can do through you. You know what that leads to? A false view of God. What happens? We're suppressing the truth. We suppress it through pride. Hey, I'm not gonna do what they won't do. I mean, that's not what God does, right? He doesn't sacrifice before we're willing to sacrifice. I'm not gonna sacrifice for you. I'm not gonna show grace towards you while you continue to hate me. You gotta change first before I'm gonna love you. Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. What's happening? It's self-righteousness, it's pride. It's things like guilt, shame, insecurity, despair. And over time, even though we say we love Jesus, we're really relying on ourselves. What's the new motivation of change? It's seeing that the love of God continues to grow over time. That my problem is a lack of faith. My problem is an issue of the heart. And every time I face a challenge in my life, I'll tell you what I need to do. I need to go back and I need to look at the cross. And I need to see in myself 
what others are doing to me. So if others are disrespecting me, you know what I need to do first? I gotta take that plank out of my eye and I need to see how I disrespected Christ. How my disrespect towards God led Jesus in humility to the cross to die for me so that I might come alive to my disrespect towards God. So now to your disrespect, I can respond with love. Because out of me is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of my effort. If you read in Galatians chapter 5, it's called the acts of the sinful nature, meaning the doings of the sinful nature. But God wants to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. We have a new motivation. That motivation is gratitude and grace for what God has done, not just in my past, but for what God is doing in my present today. Are you with me? God's power is not relegated to a future or to a past. Rather, it's to what he's doing in our lives today. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God so that, ready? We can't boast. So that we would only have one boast. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in what Jesus Christ has done and what Christ has done alone. What is he describing? That's a new identity. Because often when we boast, we boast in what we do. But in terms of the Christian faith, all we can look at in terms of what we've done is we see our brokenness. It's my sin that led Christ to the cross, which means for Christians to walk in pride is dumb. Think about it. When I find, and I find myself prideful often, so I'm on the other side. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I find myself in pride and arrogance way too often. And yet, my morality doesn't come because I figured it out. It comes because Jesus Christ died, and in his grace and love, I say, hey, my life needs to change. And if my life is changed, it's not because I can give credit to myself for figuring it out. It's because God has revealed it to me as an act of grace and love. At what place is there pride in what I've done? No, if I've changed, it's because of what Christ has done. He's my motivation for change. Now, what is the power that works in us that produces this change? If we have a new motivation, which is gratitude and joy... Well, how does that work? A couple of things I want to look at in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 21. Paul, again, is praying for us, and he's describing what we have within us through the power of the Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19, he says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Meaning, what is the power that's in us? What is the greatness of his power? In those who believe, according to the working of his great might, verse 20, Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in us. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's saying, what is the power that works in us? The power that works in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, understand it wasn't just my sin that was weighing him down. Rather, it was a sin of this entire creation. The trees cry out for Jesus' return. My dog laments that Jesus hasn't come back. Creation is broken. Sin is not just an action. Sin is when you twist an arm and it's broken. 
and it needs to be reset. Well, that brokenness will not be reset until Christ returns. What's happening right now is the image of God is being made whole in us to reflect God's goodness to creation. We're the first fruits. The first fruits means there's more healing to come. And if God is setting us right and we're now a reflection to all creation of what he's done, one day all creation will be made right. So what was the power that raised Jesus from the dead and destroyed sin and death and Satan? That's the power that's in me. And yet I can be arrogant enough to say my life will not change. Or I can look at another Christian and say you will not change. Where does that level of arrogance come from? It comes from the fact that I've forgotten I've been forgiven and accepted and I've been cleansed of my sin. I've forgotten who I am. What I need is to see God. I need to see myself and then I need to repent and believe in what Christ has done. The power in us is the power that raised Christ from the dead. In, in Romans 8, 11, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells within you. John chapter 16, verse 13, what is the role of the spirit in my life? Jesus describing the role of the spirit in John 16, verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, Notice, he will guide you into all truth. Now remember, in Romans 1, the essence of sin is suppressing truth. So what is salvation? It's the Holy Spirit coming and reminding us of the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority. For whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. See, what's the role of the Spirit? There was a book called um, Keeping in Step with the Spirit by J.I. Packer, and I always remember this illustration. And he said, the role of the Spirit is like a spotlight on a building. Imagine you're in New York City, Chicago, Dallas, wherever it is, Denver, right? You come around a corner, it's night, and you see this building, beautiful, well-built. It's all lit up from lights, floodlights covering the entire building. What you notice is not the floodlight. You don't say to your wife, your husband, hey, isn't that beautiful lights? How many lumens is that? You know, notice, we, we don't know where the lights come. We don't even notice the lights. All we see is what the lights bring to light. Well, that's the role of the Spirit. The role of the Spirit is to show you Jesus. The role of the Spirit is to make Jesus beautiful before your eyes to show you your need for Christ, the love of Christ, the holiness of God, your need of forgiveness and repentance. The purpose of the Spirit is to show you Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit is always showing us the truth, the truth about who God is, the truth about who I am, and the truth that right now what I need in my marriage, in my relationships, in my finances, I need a Savior. I need to trust Him. I'm angry because I'm relying on myself. My desires are disconnected from God because I'm trying to change my life in my own power and out of my own strength. And so what I'm often using to change myself, and the church is good at this, guilt, shame, fear, pride. Why don't people come to church? 
guilt, shame, fear, pride. None of that comes from faith in the gospel. It comes from faith and trusting in yourself to change your own life. Because listen, if I change my own life, yeah, I'm going to feel pretty good about it. And I'm going to look at you and think, what's wrong with you? I mean, what's wrong with you that you can't figure this out the same way that I did? What is that? That's a superiority complex. It's looking down on someone else and saying, it's by my effort that I've changed my life. What's humility? It's saying, Jesus, you did it. You accomplished it. And yet you accomplished it while I was a sinner, which means there's no room for fear. Why would I be afraid of a God that died for me while I was a sinner? Now, I'm in awe of that God. I want to worship that God and know that God. I want to be filled with that God. And yet I don't walk in fear because perfect love has driven out fear, meaning I'm accepted. And if I'm accepted by that God, I'm going to walk out into the world with confidence because I know the affirmation I need, and it's with me. I've got a new power. It's the power of the Spirit that's constantly saying, church, let's look at Jesus. Now, what's the process? And just quickly, the process is two words. You ready? Repent and believe. You know, when Jesus came, he had a message. Repent and believe. But the message of change is the message of repent and believe. What does that mean? It means to turn. To repent means to turn. Or in the Greek, it means to change your mind. Now, imagine it. What do we need to change our mind about? Remember Romans 1, we suppress the truth. Why did Jesus come? He came to reveal the Father. What's the purpose of the Spirit? To show us Jesus, the truth. Why do I need to repent? Not just because I did the wrong thing. The reason I did the wrong thing is I believed the wrong thing. I don't think God is good. What happens when you do not think God is good? You will think his word is not good, his commands are not good, and therefore I can ignore what he says and I will look for goodness elsewhere. Now, what's the problem? You could say, hey, my problem is disobedience. I need to be more obedient. Maybe that's true. There's some things you need to change in your life. There's some effort that does need to take place. You need to show up. You need to get up. And yet, the problem is not a behavior issue. You don't see the goodness of God. And until you're willing to see how God has been good to you, you will not taste and see that the Lord is good. See, I don't think God is gracious, meaning I don't think God has accepted me through what Christ has done. If you don't believe that God is gracious and you're accepted right now through what Christ has done, you know what's going to happen in this room? You're going to try to prove yourself to everyone around you. You're going to talk about your marriage in a way that we know that's not how things are going. You know? You're going to talk about your life in this this picture, this image that you have to perform. Why? Because God's not gracious. I'm not accepted through Christ. I need to be accepted in your eyes. I want you to believe I'm a good Christian. So I'm not going to tell you that I'm struggling. I'm not going to tell you last night I punched the wall. I'm not going to tell you how I yell at my family. I'm not going to tell you about the alcoholism or the pornography because, see, then you'll think I'm a bad Christian, which means you're living for the approval of man. What's happening? The cross in your life is is getting small. i got to do it myself. But, see, if I really think God is is gracious, I'm going to say, I need Jesus. Right now, my business is struggling. I need, what I need is Jesus. I need to stop putting my heart into what I make and what I've done, and I need to start putting my heart in what Christ has done for me. 
You see, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I want this to work out or I, I want that to work out, but the reality is he knows the future and I'm going to trust my provider to carry me through. We have a new process. It's a process of tasting, seeing, and knowing the Lord. Hey, let me close with this one picture. There's a story I heard years ago, and it was a story about a farmer, and he brought his prize-winning carrot to the king. And he loved the king. He thought the king was a gracious man, a good king, a good sovereign over the lands. And he said to this great king, he said, gracious king, this is the best carrot, you know, I've ever grown. And if anyone's going to have what I've grown, I want it to be you. And the king discerned the man's heart. And he said, thank you for this gift. And because I see in your heart a love for me, a love for our kingdom, I'm going to multiply your land 10 times. Man, this farm owner, this, this man walked away with such gratitude and joy and greater appreciation for his king. Well, there was a noble man in the back that day. And he's thinking to himself, man, if you can get 10 times the amount of land for a carrot, Imagine what you can get for a prize horse. And so one day he approaches the king and he says, gracious, good, sovereign king, uh, uh, you rule us well and you've cared for this kingdom. I want to present to you the finest horse in all the land. The king took the horse and began to walk out of the room. But see, discerning the man's heart, he walks back and he says to this nobleman, the farmer gave me the carrot. You are giving yourself the horse. How often is our obedience driven by selfishness and not gratitude for what God's done? You see, when it's driven by selfishness, you will be angry at God when life doesn't work out the way you desire. Because you will say, God, I've been obedient, I've given, I deserve this. What do you need to see? You need to see God. You need to see yourself. You say, Father, forgive me. What I deserved was to be cast from your presence. And yet what I have is the Holy Spirit in me. Help me to trust you now. And help me to rely upon you and not on myself. See, his grace is greater than our sin, but we have to be willing to see how he wants to change us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that the Christian life, so often, Lord, I, I confess that I feel like it's, sometimes it feels like a burden because I think it's a mountain I've got to climb. Or I think, Lord, it's about just a set of disciplines that will change me instead of a set of disciplines that will introduce me to you and allow me to know who you are and, Father, to hear your voice, to know my identity is secure in Christ and that I'm accepted and adopted as a child of God. That, Lord, help us this week to have gratitude for what you've done. To not look on others with pride, contempt, or even fear, but rather, Father, to see each one of us as a fellow struggler on that road of life in need of the grace and the love of God. Father, may the gospel not just be for my past and my future, but may it be the power that changes life today. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.